Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And also brought to you by PolicyPack Software, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransom plus more. And also by Liquidware, who just announced a new partnership with Igel Technologies, which should be pronounced Eagle, I know. that That's going to trigger some people. To bring both product suites together to enhance capabilities like analytics and more. And now for some news. Google co-founders Larry Page and Sergey Breen have relinquished control of Alphabet to CEO Sundar Pichai. So I found this quite surprising and shocking, but I guess people who are more into the business side of things were less surprised. In a statement released by the two, they said, quote, With Alphabet now well-established and Google and the other bets operating effectively as independent companies, it's a natural time to simplify our management structure. We've never been ones to hold on to management roles when we think there's a better way to run the company. And Alphabet and Google no longer need two CEOs and a president. Going forward, Sundar will be the CEO of both Google and Alphabet. He will be the executive responsible and accountable for leading Google and managing Alphabet's investments in our portfolio of other bets. We are deeply committed to Google and Alphabet for the long term and will remain actively involved as board members, shareholders, and co-founders. In addition, we plan to continue talking with Sundar regularly, especially on topics we're passionate about, end quote. The Verge reported that Sundar Pakai sent an email to employees stressing that the change will have little to no impact on how Google operates on a day-to-day basis. He clarified, quote, I want to be clear that this transition won't affect the alphabet structure or the work we do day-to-day. I will continue to be very focused on Google and the deep work we're doing to push the boundaries of computing and build a more helpful Google for everyone, end quote. So The Verge suggests that this is not all that surprising, as I alluded to, and that the writing may have been on the wall since the restructuring of Google with the creation of Alphabet. Obviously, as of right now, nobody really knows to what extent the two will be involved in decision-making within the company. But I'm sure the Google juggernaut will just keep on soaring. Certain HPE SAS solid-state drive models will stop working once they pass their 32,768th hour of operation. According to a report from the Register, failing to update to version HPDE8 will result in drive failure and data loss. It's quite the cluster too. HPE have confirmed that neither the SSD nor the data can be recovered. HPE released the following statement. Quote, A supplier notified HPE on November 15th of a manufacturer firmware defect in certain solid-state drives used in select HPE server and storage products. HPE immediately began working around the clock to develop a firmware update that will fix the defect. 
We are currently notifying customers of the need to install this update as soon as possible. Helping our customers to remediate this issue is our highest priority, end quote. Suffice to say, this partner is likely not making the Christmas card list this year. In another bizarre doomsday type of scenario, Splunk has warned admins of a Y2K-like issue with the product. On January 1st, 2020, unpatched instances of Splunk will be unable to extract and recognize timestamps submitted to it in a two-digit date format. Sophos have reported that unpatched Splunk instances will no longer be able to recognize timestamps for events with dates based on the Unix time. According to Splunk, in addition to inaccurate event timestamping, this could result in incorrect rollover of data buckets due to the incorrect timestamping, incorrect retention of data overall, <coughs> it's a pretty big deal, incorrect search results due to data ingested with incorrect timestamps, incorrect timestamping of incoming data, and also there is no method to correct the timestamps after the Splunk platform has ingested the data. If you ingest data with an unpatched Splunk platform instance, you must patch the instance and then re-ingest the data for timestamps to be correct. So this is a doozy. It's pretty much going to render the data useless and if you let it go that far unpatched, you're going to have to scrub the data and then re-ingest it later. Splunk cloud customers should receive the update automatically. But for those who are not using the cloud version, you'll need to download an updated version of the datetime.xml and apply it to each of your Splunk platform instances. You'll make manual modifications to your existing datetime.xml on your Splunk platform instances, or you could just upgrade Splunk platform instances to a version with an updated version of daytime.xml. So there's three ways to handle it. All are relatively simple. The complication is that applying the new file or editing it manually, so the first two options, requires customers to stop and restart Splunk, which can be a disruptive process when applied to more than one Splunk instance. AWS reInvent was held in Las Vegas this week with a lot of announcements so far, including that AWS are offering select enterprise customers the ability to experiment with an early-stage quantum computing service over their cloud. The new service is named Bracket and went into preview officially on Monday. According to the Wall Street Journal, Boeing has said it plans to collaborate with AWS in exploring potential applications for this quantum computing, including how the technology could potentially speed up materials science research and how it could secure communications. Now, one of my old jokes when I was still per pretty early on in my IT career was that like Boeing must own every single product under the sun because they're always like the go-to reference. This type of quantum computing as a service is something Google and Microsoft are also trying their hand at, and as a commercial product is still somewhat immature. So it's going to be interesting to see how widely adopted this is, and I'm sure it's going to play mostly to these larger organizations who can afford it and maybe can't keep up with their own compute demand currently. Which, as I say compute, I wonder if they've looked at computes by Magic Leap to help harness some of that compute power over a private peer-to-peer -peer network. On the security side of things, AWS announced AWS IAM Access Analyzer. 
The access analyzer allows builders everywhere to protect against unintended access from outside an account at no cost. The analyzer evaluates your policies to determine how a given resource can be accessed. Critically, this analysis is not based on historical events or pattern matching or brute force tests. Instead, it understands your policies semantically. All possible access paths are verified by mathematical proofs and thousands of policies can be analyzed in just a few seconds. This is done using a type of cognitive science called automated reasoning. Sounds a little scary. The analyzer is the first service powered by this automated reasoning available to builders everywhere, offering functionality that's unique to only AWS. And sticking with security, the Amazon Fraud Detector was announced, which is a fully managed service that makes it easy to identify potentially fraudulent online activities, such as online payment fraud and the creation of fake accounts. Fraud Detector uses machine learning and 20 years of fraud detection expertise from AWS and Amazon.com to automatically identify potentially fraudulent activity so you can catch more fraud faster. Today, Amazon Fraud Detector is available in the U.S. East region. Possibly the biggest announcements, at least in my opinion so far, is that Amazon is now ready to take orders for AWS Outposts, which is a new and unique AWS offering that offers a comprehensive single vendor compute and storage solution that is designed to meet the needs of customers who need local processing and very low latency. So essentially, kind of seems a little bit like Azure Stack Hub, allowing companies to utilize some of the greatness of AWS in their on-premises data stores. They state you no longer need to spend time creating detailed hardware specifications, soliciting and managing bids from multiple disparate vendors, or racking and stacking individual servers. Instead, you just place your order online, take delivery, and relax while trained AWS technicians install, connect, set up, and verify your outposts. Once installed, AWS takes care of monitoring, maintaining, and upgrading your outposts. All of the hardware is modular and can be replaced in the field without downtime. When you need more processing or storage or want to upgrade to newer generations of EC2 instances, you can initiate the request with a couple of clicks and they will take care of the rest. Citrix have also come out and announced support for Outposts. There's a great blog post that goes into Outposts in depth, including how to purchase. It's a pretty interesting pivot by AWS and it certainly makes sense with what competitors are doing, also just by demand of uh, enterprise organizations. Not everybody's willing to put absolutely everything into the public cloud. So bringing the robustness and elasticity to the data center, allowing AWS technicians or engineers to keep your infrastructure growing at the rate that you really need, makes sense. Also announced was Amazon Code Guru, which frankly seems like a massive overreach in my opinion. You can enable the feature on your code repositories and then pay AWS for your code to be reviewed. It's 75 cents per 100 lines of code. And developers out there have had somewhat of a visceral reaction to this. So I've already spent most of the podcast talking about AWS reInvent announcements, and I don't want to spend too much more time on it. But Adrian Hornsby created a curated list of announcements from the conference, including things like the fact 
Amazon EC2 auto scaling now supports maximum instance lifetime. You can weight target groups for load balancing purposes with the AWS application loader. There's performance enhancements for AWS RDS databases and other databases. AWS AppStream version 2 will get an automated desktop restore option, the ability to copy images cross-region, which is pretty important, uh, Linux client support, and a workspace streaming protocol, protocol that's going into beta. For some information about some of these and more, I suggest you check out that blog post. I'll share it with this episode, which is episode 101, on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. Windows Terminal version 0.7 has been released, which allows you to change the order of your tabs by dragging and dropping them into the order that you want. You're able to suppress application titles, plus there are more UI tweaks and improvements, and some important bug fixes. My buddy Andrew Morgan shared a pretty great VMware fling last week. It displays dashboards that pretty much every VMware Horizon customer will want to leverage. There is a single dashboard to show overall health of the different components in your environment, which is handy to see how your environment is running just at a glance, but you can also drill into the machine level and into sessions plus more. I asked Andrew about seeing if the Horizon connection servers are all in sync and showing the same metrics for connections, problems, etc. And as this is step one when I troubleshoot a problem in our environment, he replied to me with a screenshot of a single dashboard showing just that. Today, I have to open the admin console on each connection server to get this data. It's great that it's now available in this one dashboard. SCCM version 19.10 has been released. Some of the highlights of this release include a Microsoft connected cache support for Intune Win32 apps, the ability to deploy Microsoft Edge, Edge version 77 and later. There's also Management capabilities for BitLocker drive encryption, including the ability to deploy the BitLocker client to manage Windows devices, manage device encryption policies, get compliance reports, administrate and monitor websites for recovery keys, and a user self-service portal. So that's pretty interesting because a lot of that functionality is stuff that's currently in MBAM, which is part of the MDOP suite, which has a limited shelf life, so it's good to see they're moving some of those capabilities into a different product. Wayne Liu at Citrix shared some recent WEM developments, including that they have updated the WEM agent local cache component in the new service release. They have removed the old MS SQL CE engine. This service release is still rolling out and is in progress. And importantly, they have fixed the use cache when online issue in the Citrix in this release. If you've experienced any login delays with WEM, they recommend that you enable this option in the new service release. And I know that this has been a problem for a lot of people. Uh, it was an issue in my Citrix Cloud proof of concept recently, and I've seen people on Twitter talking about delays, so you'll want to make sure you select that option. Go EUC have released an updated post comparing Citrix VDA performance between versions. The latest update includes 19.06 and 19.09. It's pretty interesting to see some performance decreases with 19.09. Now that's not the full revelation here though. You should really read it for yourself and I'll share the post with this episode. I hope this team updates once again when 19.12 is released as 
as I covered a few weeks ago, 1912 is set to be the next version of LTSR. And finally, it's too late now, but Walmart in the U.S. included the Netgear Nighthawk router in their Black Friday sale. This is one of the first Wi-Fi 6 compatible routers that has been released, and you could have got it for just $99. And now, this week, some hot jobs. First up, Citrix is looking for someone to join their team for doing some of their product testing. The role will be based in Cambridge within the United Kingdom. And the candidate should have experience with Windows and or Linux-based operating systems, have a strong understanding of computer systems, Citrix Cloud and Citrix on-premises products and services, cloud services including Azure, databases, DNS, DHCP, Active Directory, networking, DFS, hypervisors, uh, also collaboration and issue management tools like Confluence and Jira, and automation and configuration tooling, including the use of things like APIs, PowerShell, Terraform, Jenkins, Ansible, Puppet, etc. You'll be designing and op you'll be designing, operating, and maintaining on-premises and cloud-based IT infrastructure to support pre-release environments to help with the testing. You'll be scripting and automating common tasks and processes. You'll be identifying and delivering continuous improvements to how the team does things. You'll manage and administer Citrix products and services in a customer-like environment, plus more. If your skills line up with like a systems administrator, IT engineer, automation engineer, software tester, or quality assurance, service agent, software engineer, or DevOps engineer, this could be the right role for you. And also, while on the topic of jobs, Arthur Klanarek on Twitter shared a list of remote-friendly companies on Twitter. So if you're interested in remote work opportunities, it could be worth checking out this list, and I'll share it with this episode, episode 101 on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. And now the weekly webinar. For the weekly webinar this week, on December 5th, the virtual VMUG will be hosting a control-up webinar Control-Up will be showing version 8.1, which highlights their new VMware Horizon integration. So a lot of Citrix admins, engineers, and architects will be very familiar with Control-Up. It's an awesome tool. It's great for monitoring and also as a management framework and automation tool. So if you're a VMware Horizon customer, maybe you're not familiar with it, you should really check it out and see what it can do for you and your environment. And now this episode, Scripts, Tricks, and Tips. So I already mentioned it when talking about the new release of Configuration Manager, but you'll be able to deploy the latest version of Edge, which is that Chromium-based version of Edge that people actually like, not that crappy version of Edge that nobody likes. And Anoop Nair has shared a step-by-step -step guide on how to deploy Edge with Endpoint Manager. So if you're interested in trying out a deployment, you want to check out this blog post. And also, Guy Leach shared a PowerShell script to show paths and company names for all running executables to find those for specific vendors and or run out of a specific folder. 
seriously, at this point, I could just have a Guy Leach Tip of the Week segment. I feature his tips just pretty much every week. Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.